podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Stop Hammer Time is backed for this season by Ladbrooks. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time. And it's a non-footballing stop hammer time this week. There's been no game since we last uh, spoke to you, but uh, we're going to have a state of the nation uh, stop hammer time uh, to discuss where we are as a football club and as a people, uh, <laughs> generally, at this point in 2018. And to join me in this philosophical debate of where we stand as a society at Stroke Football Club uh, is probably the best collection of people that I could collect um, at such short notice uh, short, yeah. <laughs> that I found female. In the, that's, that's very true it is incredibly uh, non-gender diverse group of people I've collected um, uh, unlike the normal stop hammer time which represents all all genders and races very equally throughout uh, throughout our entire history of podcasting joining me this week he is well, he is someone who is co-hosted, who has in fact hosted this podcast on his own within the within, within living memory uh, yeah. within the last month. I'm still shaking. Yes, he's author yeah. of uh, An Irrational Hatred of Luton, and uh, there's a connection to another one of our guests, which I'm going to come to. Uh, and it's through subsequent uh, books, uh, West Ham Till I Die and The Legacy of Barry Green. It is, of course, Rob Banks. Hello. Hello, Rob. Everything, nice you've grown you. a big beard. Yeah, yeah um, well, I don't know what happened, really. I just sort of let it go over Christmas right. and... and there it is. There's you, a lot of it. Have you been in a coma? Is that what's happened? <laughs> no, I've been on a desert island. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Did I've you, got a I've got a volleyball called Wilson. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> a less successful story <laughs> than Tom Hanks's. Uh, yeah. no, no one came to no, find no, you. No. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I got jo- so fed up waiting for someone to come and get me. I came home. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It was it was just Canvey Island. Yeah, uh, you basically just got the train back. Uh, also joining us, he is a television producer, but also uh, in in another life, in a past life, he was cub reporter for many of the newspapers of uh, of, uh, 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 of London's East End, and thus covered uh, West Ham related stories. Many times, met John Lowe, sat in John Lowe's car, I believe. It's Dave Morley. Um, it was Billy Bond's car. Oh, Billy Bond's car. You he, sat drove, he drove me home after training one day. The, what a, you know, <laughs> this is the type of story yeah. that we just... Uh, these are these should be unearthed by people a bit more Louis Theroux-like than me. Um, because because basically, David, life too is a television producer. Uh, but in, in a sense, in a sense, those stories are of his youth. Ne- never top Billy Bond's drive me home. Can't his, top his Billy Bond's. Console, yeah. It was. yeah. Gold as well. Yeah, those people that produce all those HBO... Like, like the produce the wire wasn't driven home by billy bonds i've won an emmy i directed the wire i had a i had i was in a car accident did i tell you this but i was in a car accident with paul brush as well <laughs> let's introduce there's <laughs> a, a book title <laughs> i was in a car crash with paul brush absolutely a brush uh, with before we get oh, on hey. a brush right with on. death this yeah. is we we're up and running yeah. but i must introduce our third guest again i uh, like dave it's a while since he's been on this podcast we've been stealing ourselves to get you back in uh it is uh, uh incumbent 
drive time host on LBC. So we're very grateful that he's come, having spoken for three hours solidly, that he literally wants to come and speak again. It would conceivably be the last thing he would want to do. He is also the head honcho of the West Ham Till I Die website uh, uh, page, but also head honcho of Bite Back Publishing, uh, which publishes a huge range of books on all subjects. Mainly, uh, mainly about West Ham. <laughs> but seems to have slightly mopped up every every orphan West Ham writer and put yeah. them in a small department. of his, And it is obviously his effects of West Ham that does it. It is, of course, Ian Dale. Hello. How are you, Ian? Well, it's great to be back. The, reason, the reason I haven't been back right. is because I used to do this quite regularly, mm-hmm. didn't I? But then I got the job on LBC and originally it was 7 till 10 and this was always recorded. Yes. There, so I could never do it. Yes. But now I do the drive time. I've been doing drive time for five years so why haven't you invited me back since then we um we had that falling out yeah well i thought i thought we weren't going to mention that no that's uh well a lot of a lot of people were hurt by that <laughs> both of our sets of friends uh they now also don't talk to each other so so it's it's i'm glad we're but will you now ex- admit you shouldn't have slept with them i should mm. not have slept with them <laughs> <laughs> Not at the same time, uh, but we've the, so the olive branch of friendliness, friend, friendly, friendship, friendness, friendness is is back, and Ian, you'll be on it nearly every week. Marvelous! Good. I look forward to it. Uh, so, so <laughs> Paul Brush story. Yeah. Paul, come on, Dave. Let's let's hear. We were trying to do a different. We'd, we'd been to an away game, and he, he was he was going to drive me back to my house. Right. He probably heard from Billy Bonds what good company I was. Yeah. <laughs> so he was going to, and he he tried a very a very dangerous right turn. Truth is, it's not going to come to court now. Right. The truth is, Paul was probably a bit too far forward on the right turn. Another car was in collision with ours, as I think, as, a, as I was taught as a local journey, in collision with. Whereabouts did this happen? It was near Wildbone Lane South. Right. I used right, to train right. at Chadwell. Yes. Chadwell Heath, of course. Yeah. Our paper was... And what kind of car? It, was a, it wasn't nearly as glamorous Bent as Bill's car, as a matter of fact. It was, a, I think, something like a you know, Vauxhall Viva or, or something. So were you going to sort of cover the training at Chadwell Heath and then getting a lift home? No, look, I used to... Now, this is... Oh, I sound so old school here. In in no, those days, in those days, uh, several of us who didn't write any bad stories about the club were permitted onto the team coach for away games. So oh. we would pocket the X's for for getting the train up to Newcastle, and then Mr. Lyle, God bless him, would let us back on the coach with the team. So that was there was an element Very of trust. Alan Pardew put a stop to that, didn't he? Well, uh, you, you don't remember after 1981, so yeah. you wouldn't know that. He was that, what, that the, Crystal Pal- the Crystal Palace player. What, there was a, <laughs> what control did he have over the West Ham coach? I think it's uh, I think it's Dave that's been in the coma. Because <laughs> <laughs> Steve Bacon, um, in, oh. in a book, what I published, oh, yeah. ah. um, he related this anecdote that up, up until um, Alan Pardew's time, yeah. he was allowed on the coach. And Party right. put a stop to it. No. It was very. They were very good with all the local press. They were really nice. So they had us. They had us all in their pockets. And there was never a negative word. I think he had a lot of other people on the coach by all accounts, <laughs> uh, yeah. allegedly. Right, right. <laughs> what, what are you alleging? No, nothing. Nothing. 
<laughs> it sounds like it sounds like Hugh Hefner had a coach company at the West Ham you know, team. All I speak them. to is you know about who's going down is everyone's first choice is West Brom only because they want Pardew to go down with them. <laughs> An extremely well, apparently Alan Pardew went down quite a lot. Is it you that's supposed to be the comedian here? I, I, I'm I'm merely observing and learning. <laughs> I'm learning. Wow, you offered that olive branch, but I can I can see the branch hasn't been altogether taken. This is. <laughs> Uh, edgy stuff. It is edgy. It is edgy. <laughs> I'm learning my craft here from by watching watching the world around me and picking up people's vocal mannerisms from what I see. Dave will be a character in a sitcom. <laughs> 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 uh, and what's up? What about Bonzo's car then? He had a gold Ford. Of course like he did. Console, maybe a Granada. Actually. He, he was the skipper of the club. He probably would have had a, a Granada, I think, at yeah. that stage. Or Granada. But it wasn't, obviously, it wasn't lined with Bentleys and all that stuff. No, no, no. Know, no. As, it, as it was now at Chapel. No. Footballers were proper then. Pardew had a Ferrari, didn't Yeah, he? that was one of the turning time. points, wasn't it? Well, yes, the players so turned against him because he had a Ferrari. You have a manager who has a Ferrari. No. No. No, no, no. Kind of manager was trying to take on his team in a kind of uh, in a gangster rap style contest over personal wealth. LBC can have a Ferrari. Right. Oh. Oh. oh, that's a bit of product. Shows placement. he doesn't listen, doesn't it? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I was guest. <laughs> I was guest. I was guest on um, on Eamon Holmes's show on Arrival Station. Oh, were on, you? Uh, Friday oh, afternoon. So that's that's exactly the same time that I'm on. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, lovely to see you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was at journalist college with Nick Ferrari. Were you? Yes, he was. He had the touch of the pards about him in those days as well. He was. <laughs> he was a <laughs> slick character, Nick. Um, and still is hey, in many ways. Very talented journalist. Very talented. Are you contractually obliged to say that? No, he no, is a brilliant journalist. Yeah. That's, but he he does. I couldn't do his show. He gets up, has to get. Oh, I don't know what time he gets up, but he has to be in at seven. So he must get up. I don't know five half five. I, he's been doing it for thirteen years. <laughs> he looks so great on it. Yeah, having your life in reverse, basically. Yeah, couldn't do that. Go to bed. At- Eight in the evening or Because everyone thinks that I must be after his job, but what they don't know is that I'm really, really not, because <laughs> it's, I just couldn't do it. I know, I know. That that that, uh, uh, that Mark Sandell, who is a regular guest on this, he produced... The, um, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Vanessa Victor- Feltz. Victoria Derbyshire. Uh, and they married her. And they married her. Uh, but he, he did Vanessa Feltz's show for a little while, and that was... An incredible, you know, because yeah. he lived outside London, I had to get into London for like four or yeah. something. It's just, you, you must just become nocturnal doing those shows. I mean, what basically you do, don't you? Well, I've done it for a week once and that nearly killed me. <laughs> really? Yeah, so. yeah. I should just say this. This season, Stop Hammer Time is brought to you in association with Ladbrooks. Sign up and deposit up to £50, and Ladbrooks will put the same amount into your account, giving up to £50 worth of free bets. Look for these and other offers at bet.westhampodcast.com. That's bet.westhampodcast.com. So, no game uh, to talk about this week, but uh, there is a lot of, uh, there's discontent, there are rumblings. uh, There's a lot of stuff. Stuff, discontent, rumbling, stuff, and many other... uh, Machinations. Machinations occurring currently around the orbit of the Olympic Stadium and its orbiter sculpture the name of which i literally can never remember the metal the metal something accelerate accelerate orbital accelerate orbital whatever that really should come up with something a bit more catchy it really does define that would be a good one yeah yeah for us a metal helter skelter yeah um 
What's your view? As a, as a man who has essentially uh, parted company with West Ham in about 1982, Dave, <laughs> what, what's your view on what's happening sort of uh, at the moment with the team? Well, I, I move with the times, Phil. Mm, of course. I, I, I'm not too... I loved Upton Park. Mm. Of course, I loved Upton Park before the big stand arrived. Yes. But that ruined the ground. Oh. So by the, time, <laughs> by the time we left, I wasn't too sentimental no. about Upton Park. And, and, I, and I rather like the Stadio Olimpico. Yes. I, think, I, I, yes. I like it. I think, it gets a, I think it's the football that's often no good. No. But the stadium itself, when there's a, when there's a game that's really happening, it can rock, I think. Yeah. And so I think mm. they should stop blaming the Stadio for their mediocre performances. Uh, did, did, are, we, are we too late to talk about the chairman's stuff? Was that the, is that the week before? No, I think we might be talking about that. OK, well, I, I, to be honest, although I loathe David Sullivan with a passion, there wasn't much that he said that I that I disagree with. And obviously he'd, no. he'd kind of come out a bit apologetic. There's something... What was it that made him come out and be so kind of agreeable? It's and he the wants threat of this march. Class? It's the threat of the march that's coming in... Uh, on okay. the 10th of March. Mm. I think it's rattled them a little March. bit. There was very little yeah. that he said that wasn't really cool. There's, mm. like, there's, you know, lots of kids, lots of kids' tickets. I think that's all great. He wants working-class people there and all that. There was nothing to really dislike about what he said. Ian, as, as proprietor of one of the less sweary uh, West Ham <laughs> internet-based pages, uh, the West Ham Till I Die website, um, what's the mood What's the mood you've seen sort of on there? You're assuming I read the comments. Uh, <laughs> no, I do, I do. Um, I think, look, it, you go back in West Ham's history, and if there were blogs in about 1988... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, they would have been having the same conversations same thing, yeah. that we're having mm. now in, mm. in many ways. Yeah. Sack the board. It's always the board's fault yeah. that, the, that the players mm. are so shit, yes. basically, isn't, isn't it? it? And I, I've always thought mm. that's a really weird thing. I mean, you can blame the board for hiring the wrong manager. Um, you can blame the manager for signing the wrong players. But in the end, it's the players that do the... But there is nothing that David Sullivan can do on a Saturday to make Marko Anortovic a better player. No. Now, David Moyes has clearly made him a better player. Yeah. And, I mean, I was not a great fan of that appointment, of, of Moyes coming in, but, I mean, give him his due. He's got them playing with discipline. He seems to have got them a lot fitter. And Arnautovic has been transformed. One or two of the other players, I think, are playing a lot better than they were under Bilic. Um, we can all blame the stadium. And, of course, when you go into a new stadium, it feels like an away stadium. Yeah. But you, you are about the first person who said exactly what I always say, that... There is a fantastic atmosphere at the Olympic Stadium when we play well, yeah. just as there was at Upton Park when we played yes. well. If we play badly at Upton Park, does anyone remember a brilliant mm. atmosphere when we play badly no, at Upton no, no. Park? Because I certainly don't. No. no. Uh, and yes, it's much bigger. And so if there is a bad atmosphere, it kind of feels worse, maybe, in, in some ways. And I think it does transmit itself to the players, even though we're obviously so much further away. But like you, I think it's a fantastic stadium. It will take time for people to get used to it. You can't compare it to Upton Park. And the, and the more you try and do so, you, you just yeah. sort of dig yourself a deeper yeah. hole, don't you? Yes. Um, we're very lucky to have it. They did a blinding deal on it. I mean, let, Whatever criticisms we might have of them, um, and I have a lot of criticisms of Karen Brady, but I think she couldn't have done a better deal on that stadium, really, in, ter yeah. in, in terms of money. <clears throat> I think these sort of just... Uh, uh the unassuaged, uh, uncomplicated moaning that has happened is like part of it is 
why don't you fix your situation? You know, we had uh, quite rubbish seats last season. And so what we did was we moved. Like, it took, I had to sit on the phone on behalf of six of us because I was the last one. But I sat on the phone, and it wasn't that hard. You know, I just sat in my flat. I, I, I was quite excited by it, so I dialed, you know, six out of seven numbers at two minutes to 11, which is our appointment was, and then, uh, you know, 10.59, hit the last digit, it rang, and then had a quite a long negotiation with a lady on the other end of the phone. But because I was nice and said, I want to be, where do you think the hooligans might be? Because I want to stand up all game and shout, and I don't want to sit down. And she went, well, I know what you're talking about. Um, that's going to be hard to move six of you. And then finally, you know, it took, you know, it's half an hour or something. I had to sort of ring her back and stuff. And now we... You know, as we walked closer and closer to the pitch, as the as the row numbers are going down from the twenties down to rows eleven and twelve, which we were, me and Pete Ward were just going. God, we're still at, we're still at eighteen, and we're already near the pitch. And we got to our, our, where we were, and we're just going. This is great. We're like right by the corner flag, and it's the second. Che- well, if you take out the two hundred eighty nine pound seats, it's so it's the third cheapest season ticket there it's like 600 quid yeah, but so you can see what happens as well that, yeah, that's great. progress yeah, yeah, there, was a, there was a perception that the, the, the seats on the halfway line were going to be the best seats because they were on the halfway line yeah um but obviously, if you're on the halfway line in an oval-shaped stadium, you're going to be yeah. further away. Well, I, am, yeah. I am on the... I mean, yes. I've got yeah. two tickets in the 1966 seats in the front row, so I reckon I'm in the royal box, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, you are quite a long way away, but it's still a brilliant view. Yeah, yeah. Now, I miss, because I, I was used to be quite near the dugout, so I do miss watching the activity in the yeah. dugout. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, I can never see who, which substitute's coming up. Or, so I do kind of miss that. But... Nobody's telling me that there is a really bad view in that stadium. Okay, if you're up in the gods, you probably think you're a bad view. But it's no worse than a view you'd get at Wembley. And I remember when I went to the Olympics, um, I purposely went up to the top to see what it would be like right on one of the ends. And I thought, well, actually, this isn't that bad. Mm -mm. And if if you're paying 200 quid for a season ticket... I'm sorry, you're not going to get the best view. No, that's right. But it's not a bad view. But and, and if you were at the, if you were at the back of the Bobby Moore stand and the, on the right at the top, that wasn't a particularly brilliant view looking up the other end yeah. either. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's not even a question of creative visualization. It's just visualization. When we when we, when we moved because we were in a relatively cheap band behind the goal in the Bobby Moore lower, uh, we thought we were in a commensurately cheap seat in the new place. When I got there for the first game, which was that European tie. Yeah. Uh, I was a long way from the place and I thought, hmm, next season we might want to move. This view's a bit shit. Uh, but, you know, we'll sit this season out. It was, it, was, uh, it was a very inexpensive season ticket. And the next season we did move. And, and nothing, and, you know, th- there'd been enough in the papers to go, it's a round stadium with an oblong in it. If you are on the halfway line, you'll be a long way. Anyone that somehow couldn't see that coming has got to mm. really not think but deeply do, do about you, anything. Do any of you ever take? Sorry, I'm playing an interviewer. Do do you take people who've sort of never been there before? Because whenever I do that, and they walk up the steps and get to the top of the steps and they look into that bowl, they are just blown mm. away. Yeah, yeah. Say, This is the best I, I did, I've I did, been in. I did an impro show with uh, an impro group from New York who said uh, we'd like to see a soccer match, and it was when the Shrewsbury replay oh, was on. I went well. Actually, <laughs> curiously, there is a game that you'll be able to go to because no other fucker will want to get to that game. And, uh, and I went, listen, uh, I'm not sure I can particularly help you, but just ring the just ring the 
you know, ringer, man. They'll happily sell you a ticket. Billy um, Bonds will come around and pick you up in his car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all know what that game was like. It was the sort of dreadful last-minute winner. They thought it was amazing. Mm, yeah. They thought it was amazing. And, I'm go- and I, I was going to say, I'll pay for you to come back from New York another time to watch a proper they game. Are and, and, and this thing about, oh, it's not a football stadium. Well, what is it then? I mean, it, it has football in it. Yes, it, it is a sort of oblong, uh, uh, oval shape, which most football stadiums aren't. But it is a great stadium, and we're so lucky to have it. Yes, I, I, I mean, I where we walk across this sort of um, uh, gantry, like um, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker have a saber fight. <laughs> um, below us are the, you know, the black chairs from the Olympic Stadium. And people say, what are the camera phones? Take their pictures of that and go, you see, it's all jerry-built. All the other chairs from like the other, so they're all under it. It's not purpose-built. It's not purpose-built. And again, if Who you're cares? looking at the chair, I don't care. I'll stand on, you know, when we were on the North Bank and we were very short when we were kids we brought literally bought crates with us to stand on and people don't go yeah, that's ridiculous got to bring us crate to stand on you know that's just i mean that's what so it's that's like. a big thing i bet that each of us you know went to west ham before we were 10 years old and it's and you grew up with it okay that's mm. a big thing now television's pretty much it's pretty much a television sport football and you look and you see Loads and loads of blokes of 50 and 60 watching it, and, and not much else. That's what it is. It's male and it's old. And I'm very sorry about that, that you don't see dads and granddads with their children. Mm. And I really like that the Stadio Olimpico has lots of kids there because I think they'll grow up and they'll carry it. I know it yeah, sounds well, cool. I know I sound like David Simon, but I really do believe that's important. Yeah, you're that's absolutely a big right. Deal. There are lots of kids, more women... And there are more brown and black faces yeah. around yeah, as yeah, well. And Which because I think, be. I think at Upton Park, it, w- it felt quite exclusive. Mm-hmm. And yes, of course, there were some ethnic minorities. But when you think of the, yeah. the, the surrounding area, it, there ought to have been a huge number, yes, particularly absolutely. of Asian fans, yeah, yeah, and yeah. there just weren't. No. Well, now you see a lot more, and yes, I think it's do. because people think they can actually go and watch But Upton Park yeah. was quite a terrifying place as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. It became that, and, and now I think... You know, I, I think the Olympic Stadium is a safe place. You know, you get good views, there's a good atmosphere, and I, I really like that. I, but I went to the proper study at Olympico in, in Rome last year, and I got my wife to come, who's not a football fan. And it was just beautiful. Every child plays a pound, okay? So mm. it actually isn't like a load of old blokes who used to go. pounds in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Brexit for you. Well, our economy is so depressed. <laughs> but it, it's full of mums and dads who each take three children and then they meet up with their other kids. And the atmosphere is absolutely mm. beautiful. Mm. And I think that's what football should be like. Not all those... Who lives? He used to lie in Green Street, yeah, looking for fans from somewhere. Who wants that? That's like yeah. another age. That's prehistoric, you know. And so that's why I sort of like the stadium. There's, you've there's, got to move forward. You've got to counter that against the argument that um, to have home advantage, you've got to make the place intimidating. Yes, you do. Yeah. And you've got to, you've got to create an, an atmosphere that the opposition are going to be are going to be scared of and are going to feel intimidated by. And when that's not going to be created by having lots of children and lots of 
How about having a shit hot team that they're afraid well, of playing? That's, that's where actually, the Dave, Dave, point, I think Dave, uh, I think you one might of the games the you came to was the Spurs game last yeah. season. Yeah, yeah, really that was, you weren't going to get better than that, Yeah, which I, could, yeah. which I actually couldn't make because I had a show because uh, it got moved to the so Friday. So there's a lesson here, Phil. Just give him your ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that's probably, I think that's probably true. But, uh, that you know, that was that, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, Jim talks about that well, game. Well, and also the Chelsea League Cup match in October, which was the first match where there was a really rocking atmosphere. Yeah. And I remember... I remember um, went with Simon Walters from the Mail on Sunday, uh, who's a really big Hammers fan, as most journalists seems to, seem to be yeah. in, in the political lobby. Um, <laughs> and we just looked at each other and thought, wow, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And it was actually quite emotional. I can feel myself getting emotional remembering yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It really was. And I was thinking, well, this stadium can be what we make of it. Yes. And if we want it to be shit, it will be shit. That's the key to it moving forward. Uh, I think I saw this uh, mentioned somewhere else, that when you move somewhere new... You might not like it to start with, but you have to make your own new memories. Yeah. Mm. And, and yeah, we've all got great memories of Upton Park. Yeah. I've got some pretty shit ones as well. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I've, I've been to games where I didn't see anything. <laughs> no. I didn't see a thing because I'm quite short and I was on the North Bank and there's great big blokes stood in front of me. I didn't see anything. That was me. <laughs> Um, you, were the, the uh, you were the lower half of that couple of lads who tried to come in in a long coat. That was it. One, please. Always try and be the top one. <laughs> one, please. I, I yeah. did that at the um, 1980 Cup final. We, there did, were, you, did you come as a pantomime horse? No, we did, <laughs> have, we did have five tickets for six of us. And so what we did is... Sewed one of you inside your jacket. We draped our Union Jack, which my mum had sewn West Ham, and you know, the outline of the cup. We put that over our shoulders, a line of us, and my friend Mervyn Evans, we had to, pardon the pun, we had to spread our legs, and he scurried between our legs and through the turnstile as the five of us with tickets handed over our tickets. It's like a Cockney Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> it's like... You it's see, like, <laughs> that, that should be an anecdote in one of those sort of your, your best West Ham. Yeah, yeah, well. absolutely. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's, that's the, that is the working class crime caper See, if, if people think that the rest of this podcast is absolute cack, they will always remember that anecdote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mervyn Evans. <laughs> you see, to me, to, me, to me, being a West Ham fan is more about stories like that yeah. Than, yeah. than people who bang on about stories. Imagine, about imagine if he'd got caught in things. that turnstile as he, as he went we're just going to take a small break now we'll be back after this message stop hammer time is backed for this season by ladbrooks welcome back um so one thing I've been thinking about, and we could talk about because there's no game to talk about this week, is that, um, you know, obviously with uh, the travails of, uh, of this particular kind of uh, moment in time, um, one thing I think about a lot is uh, uh, when, when you, whenever you get a story like the Tony Henry thing, uh, the Tevez affair, uh, Manny Omoyinmi, um, Joey Beecham, all those things, you, what, often the reaction is... Uh, <sighs> Only at West Ham. Only at West Ham. And there's quite a lot of that feeling now. And this raises two questions in my mind. Uh, If we're thinking that... Question one. If we're thinking that, what must fans of Leeds United, Sheffield Wednesday, Nottingham Forest be thinking? What are fans of... uh, 
Portsmouth think, or Coventry, what do they think? Leighton mm. Orient aren't even in the Football League anymore, what do they think? So I'm not for a second saying that people that think that are wrong, I think they're right, but probably that's happening all over the country yeah. at all other football teams. But the other thing that I thought we could talk about is that, uh, yes, sometimes it does seem that we are, um, we're victims of uh, bad luck and incompetence quite a lot. Uh, uh, over the years and uh, so I thought we could just start a chat about that a little bit and I'm going to start at uh, uh, and we'll almost probably instantly go back in time with uh, a moment that I imagine might have happened in February 1997 when I think Harry Redknapp might have had to walk into Terry Brown or the Cairns' office and go this Premier League thing this is real and we can't we can't not be in it. We've got to stay in it. We can't sort of yo-yo like we did from kind of uh, 89 to 93. We have to stay in it. So you must give me some money to buy some expensive strikers. And he bought Hartson and Kitson for a combined total of nine million. And that's what it felt like happened to me, was that in that era, I think that the, the Cairns-Brown... Um, uh, Axis were a little can, late to the table. To can, we, can we just explain this for Dave's benefit? That John y- yes. Hartson was a Welsh striker. Welsh. Jerry Beecham, I'm yeah. lost. <laughs> <laughs> I was lost there. I was lost in 1997 at that point. John Hartson was like a, a before and after fitness photo uh, within about one season. <laughs> he, he began that season as a lean Marko Arnautovic man and ended it looking like Jeff Capes. Um, his uh, training regime of more, of, of basically pies and repeatedly kicking A.L. Berkovich in the head yeah. um, turned him Israeli striker <laughs> brilliant <laughs> it's like subtitles for the deaf for me, but, not, but not for the deaf from, from the from the what <laughs> from the find a word what uh, I think you mean the hearing impaired nowadays the the yeah the pathologically the pathologically nostalgic um, uh, but that that seemed to be that was certainly you know one of the certainly in the Premier League era that was a kind of an example where we were there seemed to be we were slow to move with the times uh, in fact I think Jim sort of you know sort of made the point that actually if we'd really seen where the we you know the, which which way the wind was going with the kind of the Premier League and everything we should have been thinking about sort of ground expansion and basically been the only team in East London with its huge kind of demographic of Kent and Essex could have been a kind of you know 60,000 seater team in the late 80s we were talking about this earlier mm. about how after the world cup win in 66 bobby moore sat down with ron greenwood and said Okay, who are we bringing in to, you know, we've got three World Cup winners in the team. Who are we bringing in to, to push on? And Ron Greenwood said, hmm, no one, we're going to carry on just as we are. And did um, they not have Gordon Banks lined up? Yes, and he said, I've do. already shaken hands That's with Bobby yep. In the days <laughs> when a gentleman's agreement meant something. Yeah. Well, well, the same happened with John Lyle, didn't it, after 1986 when yes. they came yep. third. And that, that was the moment to push Failure on. To push yeah. on. Yeah. It yes. never happened. Yeah. No, that's yeah. right. It happens on the pitch all the time. Yeah. In fact, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, that's a great example, isn't it? Because, because after that boys of 86, 87 team, um, he, you know, John Lyle kindly let Frank McAvenny join his boyhood, the, the team he idolises, mm. sort of Celtic, as almost like a kind of prize for doing brilliantly the previous mm. season, then forgot to buy anyone to replace him. Uh, you know, that's, that, that team was slowly kind of taken apart a bit rather than strengthened. I even think that the, the, 
the team that got us up, I don't know if it was the last yo-yo promotion or the one before that because we came up sort of we went up and down sort of twice in about four years didn't we but we dismantled the team by selling Keane and Robson yeah. and only replacing them with one bloke which was Dale Gordon who he probably got injured I remember seeing his debut was he injured on his debut it was very close to he no he scored the it. first ever Premier League goal for us didn't he in yeah. Coventry and then I think he was injured the following game mm-hmm. uh, but there was you know that that team was sort of dismantled slightly too much and uh, and struggled to perform and I think it might have gone back down again uh, I think that team might have but, been go, the one but going back to what you said about the stadium um, they did build the stand which you hate um, and that I mean at the time that was considered to be almost state of the art wasn't it and mm-hmm. then everyone thought well they're going to do the east stand now because of the bus garage for some reason they, they, they didn't do it then um, and that was always the excuse as to why they couldn't develop up to mm, part because mm. of that. But I saw a picture the other day that someone had put on one of the blogs of these new flats that are being built now, and, and they're actually on that site. Yeah. So you yeah. think, well, how, wow. how on earth does that yes. happen? No, absolutely. Right. But the absolutely. bus garage is not in use anymore anyway, is it? And no, it hasn't no. been for a number of years. And that was, I think that's Jim's point about, well, yeah. why couldn't they develop the yeah. East Stand? But, because it, but if they could have raised the attendance to, say... 45,000 there, which I suppose if they'd redeveloped the East Stand, that, that was possible. Do you think we should have still done don't, that? Don't you think that the area is just too congested to have that number of people descending on it every other weekend or every other... And, and in the middle of the in the middle of the week on a, on a Wednesday night. Well, one thing that does seem to have happened is there's no joined-up thinking between transport and uh, and the football grounds anymore. There's a weird disconnect now. They used to put more trains on on Saturday, mm. but now uh, TFL, their attitude is almost going, um, when, uh, when's your football match? Saturday. Oh, no, no, we, we close for engineering works on Saturdays. So couldn't you have had it another... Mm. You know, football, well, I mean, that, I know at, football's not so much on a Saturday now, but it used to be traditionally on a Saturday. But look at the Tottenham decades. game at the turn of the year. I mean, they made up all sorts of excuses for that. Yeah. That was because the train drivers refused to work on New Year's Eve. There was no other... The TFL actually wanted to do it, to be fair to them, but the train drivers said, no, we're not doing it. Yeah, yeah, because there's an extra platform at Upton Park isn't there which must have originally been built for um, crowds coming to the ground and they could have Sorry? I, never, yeah, I, never I thought only ever that. remember two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 there's an extra platform also, there. Yeah. yeah, and I think that yeah. must have been because of, you know, the 50s and 60s or something. When, uh, and, and they could have just made a slight effort to kind of work with TFL. And, and, I mean, you know, I don't know what you've got to do to get TFL on your side if, if, if 35, 40,000 people need moving to one place in London. Well, I mean, that's called customers for, uh, for people that all. Yeah, but they're, they're a TFL. typical, as all my black cab driver listeners will tell me, TFL doesn't stand for Transport for London. And it's totally failing London, and yeah. they do time after time. But anyway, off my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we um, um, you know, the next time there was a sort of a you know, sort of I don't know, lack of vision, or it's certainly not bad luck. Was after we got Hartson and Kitson, we 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 were a good outfit. We we had uh, you know four or five years sort of in the top ten, and then Harry uh, was fired and. Again, to sort of sustain our sort of position in the club, we, we, it, it, the feeling certainly from Decanio was we needed to bring in a kind of top flight manager. Mm. And it, what, what it felt happened was they went, things are going great. 
this show runs itself. It runs on rails. So just someone who comes in every day will have pretty much picked up what happens. Glenn, why don't you come and be the manager of the team? And that went well. You, you know, you come in every day. And that well, it did actually like a, in the first season, it did didn't seventh, it? seventh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we shipped a huge amount of There's goals. Some horrendous performances his, in that uh, season away from home. Though. His buys were not super strong. Uh, James was strong. But James arrived injured, didn't he? James arrived injured and didn't play for quite a long time. He brought Hutchison back, didn't he? Brought Hutchison, who immediately got injured, uh, and Thomas Repka, who... Mm, who injured everybody else. Who injured everybody yeah. else. Was, well, he was a good signing, uh, in the long term. In the yeah. long term, only yeah. when he moved to right-back about four years yeah. later. After several red cards. But do you not think part of the, the reason that they wanted someone like Rhoda was they were fed up with Harry Redknapp wasting money on the likes of Titi Kamara and, and whatever. I think they're all And they thought, well, well, <laughs> yeah. maybe. But they thought, well, with, at least with Glenn Rhoda, we can kind of control him a bit and he's not going to spend ridiculous amounts of money on players that were either average or below average. And, and actually, Glenn Rhoda made some good mm. signings. David James, for one. It was a good signing. Yeah. And there were a couple of others in that first season yeah. whose names now escape me. But I, I, we've all got a downer on Glenn Rhoda because of what happened towards the end of his reign. But um, he wasn't all, he wasn't all that. Did you really? Did you? Yeah. When he played for Gideon Park Rangers, he was outstanding. Was he? <laughs> Absolutely outstanding. <laughs> was he really? Yeah, he was. I always felt Glenn Rhoda was stitched up by the first ever... Uh, transfer window and I think it was the first year that we really? had the, the January transfer window was in 2002-03 and he just we got injuries to Di Canio Canute I don't know if Di Canio mm. was injured or was having a strop but Canute was injured we had several mm. ended up playing Ian Pierce up front yeah. and we were yeah. really struggling until January and in January he did bring in Les Ferdinand Rufus Brevet mm. uh, a couple of others you're a good memory. Ferdinand yeah. was good, and, and then, and, but then, and then from January we were, you know, we did we didn't win a home game till January, and then suddenly we we turned the corner. And if it wasn't for his unfortunate yeah. illness, um, don't you also have the fantasy of as if they'd kept all those young players, yeah, with Rio well. and Joe Cole and no. Carrick? Mm-mm. That's the thing that really. That's the thing that really. Well, see, if we hadn't def- gone down defo- that year, maybe. I mean, they, they had like mm. half an England. I can remember yes. back in, in about two thousand and five. I actually compiled a full England team yeah. of West Ham players. Yeah, and it would have made a good. That were still playing yeah. at that yeah, time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. Uh, yes, it was. It was extraordinary that we somehow managed to go down with forty-two points, but somehow yeah. that we also did kind of balls it up, given how well we played in the last. I think it was like eleven games. Yeah. Uh, well, we we lost to Bolton, which was the the killer, wasn't it? because mm. they beat us they, they, they stayed up at our expense mm. yeah uh, but that team you know that team should have not only not got down but should have performed extremely mm. well that season but it didn't um, and then you know Pulse came in and we did sort of well we came up again and then uh I, I, I think really our, our next uh, uh, catastrophe was just a bit of bad luck in that we got, a, uh, we got a, a new owner that you thought was from the one country in the world that would be utterly safe from some sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> self-immolation or, or um, uh, you know, civil war or something. Iceland, <laughs> the country where the only things you knew lived there were Bjork and money. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally a country full of money. And then the 2008 global financial collapse happened. And uh, because, you know, that again, that team that Zola was sort of trying to build at the beginning of, of uh, that season was good. And we finished ninth under yeah. him. Was well, Zola I, any good? Was Zola, was Zola actually any good? I loved Zola. Yeah, I sort of thought he was a stylist, but... 
Well, he he, he, he turned. Kind of, you thought that was going to be really exciting that year. Yeah, yeah. but a bit like Moyes never... has improved on Ortovic, Zola made Carlton Cole yes. a yeah. brilliant player for two yeah. seasons. Got called up for yeah. him. Yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. was. And yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Zola clearly has his failings as a manager because he's never done it in any no. club he's been at since. But what a lovely guy! What a brilliant yes. man! Yeah, yeah. And I, I would have loved them to have kept faith with him for a bit yeah. longer. But, but the but yes, yes. Who was the, who was the coach who then went off to Liverpool? Who was the good coach Steve he had from Chelsea? Yes. Steve, yeah. that was supposed to be but he, wasn't that the kind of axis that was supposed to work yes but what he was doing that didn't seem to help or protect Zola at all I wonder he seemed to do nothing Steve Clark well I remember having lunch with Scott Duxbury and Greg Dimitri the press officer at the time and um, I think I can say this now because neither of them are there anymore but they reckoned that Steve Clark was the, definitely the power behind the throne right. and they reckoned that he would succeed Zola whenever mm. Zola went right um, but it never happened well, because they mm. performed and so I, badly. I don't know what Steve Clark's doing nowadays. No, no. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a question which will hang, yeah? <laughs> Didn't he, wasn't he, manager, West he was Brom. manager at uh, Reading for a little while, wasn't he? Yeah. Was yes, that? he was, you're yeah. right. But I don't, yeah. in the last couple of years, I haven't heard... Mm. I don't think he's got a club now. No. But that was, that was incredibly unfortunate, wasn't it? Because I think, uh, he, you know, he was literally... Zola was being forced to sell players, mm. you know. So, players that one week are kind of one of the foundations or cornerstones of the team and they're going oh we've got to you've got to sell him now I remember seeing now if I got this right I think there was a sort of front three of uh, of Dimichaeli Cole and Etherington and it was a sort of 4-3-3 about uh, played brilliantly demolished Newcastle and then they sold Etherington like 10 days yeah. later and Carlton Cole says that Dimichaeli was the best striker he ever played with. <laughs> in that yeah. game he was amazing yeah. and he did some fantastic sort of things but he was at the end of his yeah. you know his we had quite a few of those he was involved in strikers that, Franco, that were yeah. right at the end of that now Franco, Franco I quite liked him he was him. great he was really good he was one of those players that he was, he was, you know, he was like a fan of the team yeah. in the second. He scored a kind of very chatty header on his debut. And, like, you know, heading was not his game, but it was like from a corner and it's bounced mm. off about three people. Went in on Franco's head and he just went mental. I've scored a goal. I've scored a goal. He's gone in off my head. I've scored. You know, it was just like he loved it. He loved it. And, but he was about 51. <laughs> it was really kind of getting I think Titi Kamara was about 51 as well. <laughs> He was, yeah. <laughs> he was another one who lied about his age. Like Ilunga, who yeah. was in his early know, he was. He, he was another one of those fullbacks who has one fantastic season, yeah, like yeah. Sebastian yeah. Schemmel. Yeah. Yeah. I loved him. And then the next season, he it's was absolutely rubbish. Absolute Cresswell is a bit the same. I mean, he was Literally, great, yeah, great his first, first year, but kind of mm. gone off the boil a bit. Now. He had that sort of catastrophic... Um, thing in a friendly before the first season in the Olympic Stadium where he just got his um, you know Achilles raked down by an Austrian player in a pre-season friendly and I think he's never really hmm. sort of quite recovered from that quite like him playing on the left hand side of that back three though so do I because you wouldn't have thought that that would be his natural no, well, it's not his natural position but he's, he's done well well he's a bit like Steve Potts actually I think he's quite a good tackler he against you know in, in our the games that sort of heralded our renaissance if it's going to be a renaissance because the jury's still out but um chelsea and arsenal where where we you know we got four points out of two games um he was doing some quite courageous tackling inside the area mm. not giving a pen away you know which is what people steve potts would tackle someone yeah. on the goal line yeah. confidently knowing this won't be a penalty the referee will see that i've taken the ball Steve Potts was one of the best tacklers I've ever seen. Seeing as we're yeah. going all over the place in this yes, conversation, Daniel Potts. 
Yeah. I thought when he played, he played a couple of games, and I thought he was absolutely outstanding, and then he never got another chance. And we've had several young players like that who get in for a couple of games, and then you never hear from them again. Um, I mean, Marcus Brown's another one who's still in the youth team, but he played a couple of years ago, did really well, but has never been on the on the bench since. No. no. I think he was injured for some time, but he's back back now. Again, it sort of throws... It does cast a few questions over Slav's um, sort of uh, uh, sort of man management and thinking. You know, the fact that what seemed, what seemed sort of a brave piece of management when uh, he just basically just sent a Maltifano, a Maltifano away, you're not at the club anymore, and uh, dropping uh, Adrian after one bad game... Now comes across as he can't shoot a rocket up someone's ass. Oh. All he can do is is um, he can't talk to them. He just drops them mm. because he's frightened of confrontation. It's easier to just drop someone than it is to get in. You know, people said about uh, Allardyce was that, you know, he's completely the opposite. He would uh, humiliate a player who had made a mistake in front of everyone else in the dressing room, but at least that player wouldn't make that mistake. Billich is such a gentleman that he'd rather quietly drop them, send them a Dear John letter, mm. than mm. try and get them to play better. And I think some of those kids, he just went, oh, yeah. no, it, it won't work. It's not going to work. But Allardyce had the same problem with the kids, didn't he? Because yes, he, he did, he, yeah gave Dan Potts his debut and then promptly dropped him and yeah, never played him again. Him. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and then you had that famous episode with the Forest Cup tie where <laughs> he played everyone all had been banging yeah. on at him to play the kids and he <laughs> played all of them. Um, almost by way of saying, look, yeah. I played the kids, you told me to play, and now we've lost, so I win. <laughs> he did the other ones with 4-4-2. When we, when we beat Black Hall with a 4-4-2 with an extraordinary performance from Carew and Bulldog. We beat them 4-0 mm. at home. He'd played 4-4-2 because everyone was injured. We had to play 4-4-2 in that location in, with that formation. We, we beat them 4-0. And then a few weeks later, he went, uh, oh, I'm down to the bare bones. And, uh, and he played a 4-4-2 and we lost. And he went, you see, you see, it doesn't work. 4-4-2 doesn't work. I was right, I was right. <laughs> Can I just say, your Billich impression is a lot better than your Allardyce impression. Because he's actually from Wolf. Wolverhampton, you know. I, I'm doing him as a northerner. Yeah, as a Midland, choice. He's, he's, he's not a northerner. Yeah, right. No, but I, I do. It's because he was a Bolton. He was I a know. northerner. Exactly. I know, but I like to do him like that. I like to do him like a northerner. Ricardo Vazte is not from Caribbean. Can we hear your David Moyes? I don't know if you've heard the podcast, but uh, um, Guy Demel. Guy Demel spoke like Leslie Phillips, and Ricardo Vazte spoke like James Brown. So I think you should do. Um, Kiati, um, speaking like Keith Lemon. Like, because, of, <laughs> because of his bandage. Because he's got his For no other reason. Yeah. Okay, maybe I will. Yeah, I want to hear your David Moyes. No, I'm not going to do it. Oh, all right. I don't, I don't actually Sodger, do it. then. I haven't, thought, <laughs> I haven't put together a performance here. All right, okay. Yes. When you find the shoes, you'll find the character, once you, I believe. Once you've got those, you'll have Moyes. David has made an astute point. Thank you, David. Once you discover <laughs> you've the shoes... You've made quite a few of them, actually, to be fair. He has. He's done, he's done great. Not like you. <laughs> no, I know. Interrupting all the time. Time sniping away like that. To fuck off yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm feeling that I've got to the end in one piece. Yeah, you're both on borrowed time. Yeah, wait, till, wait till you see the comments on the Facebook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, so, so we. Um, so, so, you know, that the. the I think so quite often the, people sort of forgot about the Icelandic sort of financial collapse, and, and within a couple of seasons, we were still sort of paying for that. And the Tevez you know, affair. Yeah, the Tevez affair was a, a sort of another. Yes, I mean, really financially, that. 
Because I guess CBB Holdings kind of were ultimately they were paying that twenty five million to uh, Sheffield United because I think that's that that you know coincided didn't it with the, that change over to Iggy mm. and uh, his coterie Celebrity Big Brother Holdings. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yes, really. <laughs> Uh, Who goes? Uh, you decide. Yes. <laughs> what sort of accent was that? <laughs> that wasn't David Moyes. Top that, <laughs> that, David Moyes, if you can. Was that your Icelandic accent? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, yesterday on my show, I did a half-hour phone-in on why Iceland is banning male circumcision. They are banning it, aren't yeah. they? Yes, yeah. yes. I saw that on... It's on, got uh, fuck all to do with West Ham, but I thought I'd bring it in anyway. I saw that uh, on the BBC News with a photograph of, of a small baby, a pixelated area, and then just a, a massive amount of blood splattered all across this baby's chest. It was like... And I was watching it with the sound off. So I was kind of going, what is this new story? And that's what it was. Uh, the most alarming graphic I've ever seen on a news yes, programme. which is a bit unnecessary. Yeah, it's very strange. Very sort of strange. I thought it might have been a news story about people feeding babies into uh, uh, mincing machines. Mincing machines, yeah. yeah. From the from the graphic, it was a very distressing image. They don't even do that in Rotherham. No, exactly. No. I'm a long way from Paul Brush having a car. <laughs> yeah. How far we've come! We're now putting um, babies in mincing machines. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and. and then I think our, you know, our our most recent sort of uh, expression of kind of incompetence was just, you could understand that between our very successful last season at Upton Park and the the, the one at the new stadium, I still say uh, Billet shouldn't have gone and done that punditry. I was very worried when he went yeah. and did that punditry. He was brilliant. And then we had a, he was a good pundit. He was. But he was a bad manager because we had a rotten transfer window and bought in all players that have now gone. And, uh, and... You know, um, what if hindsight we lost Payet though. What yes, if? that's one of mine. Yes, I mean it's there a were... big turn. You know, he was the, he was only two years ago the Euros, and he was in yeah. Europe's top eleven. He's lost interest a... now, though, hasn't he? I know he? it's so bizarre. You know, yeah, yeah. It's so did, did you feel a sense of almost personal letdown over that? Because I, I, yeah. Arsenal, I Arsenal supporting friend of mine at LBC always said to me, said. He won't stay. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's no. this type of player that will always flounce. I said, no, you don't get it. He really gets what Bilic is trying to do at West Ham. He's really bought into it. He's going to be there for the long term. Well, I was wrong, wasn't I? But I think Bilic kind of didn't strengthen over the summer and stuff like, you know, and when they started to play badly, I yeah. think he was kind of like looking at the lifeboats going, I'm going to mm. get in one of those and uh, just leave. You know, I, th- I think in a sense, if we'd um, not come out and just played so badly and, and, and hindsight's a wonderful thing. I mean, the, the the, 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 those first little clutch of games last season, uh, well, sorry, this season, um, I really thought to myself, I've never seen a team that looks like it's, it's not ready to actually play football. Yeah. It thinks yeah. it's July. And yeah. now when you think of season one in the Olympic Stadium, you think it's the same thing. They, you know, part of the reason they, they you know, they were getting beat, you know, they went two up against uh, Watford and Watford got cross and came back and beat us 4-2, was you just went, oh, they're not ready. They're not ready. And, and whatever, Billich's coaching, training, fitness methods were, are sort of disastrous. And now you're hearing stories that his sort of pre-match warm-up would be a kind of Tony Robbins type, unleash your inner giant mm. thing, but no tactics. 
But isn't it interesting that Mark Noble has been transformed as a player yes. since Bilic has yes. gone? And, and of, of all the players, I mean, there were some that clearly didn't want to play for Bilic, but you would never have thought that Mark Noble, really, just from a psychological point of view, would have been one of them. And yet he, I won't say he's quite back to where he was, no. but he's not a player that you would think about dropping from the team now, whereas in the first half of the season, no. he wouldn't have been in your first 11 for a lot of it. I kind of respected him for coming out and saying, we let down Bilic. Because mm, mm. the easy thing for Noble to do would go out and say all great things about Moyes. Okay, so we can blame yeah. we can blame mm. Billich for everything. And I thought that he was a good skipper with Billich. I thought they were grown ups and mm, they treated mm. people in a really impressive way. And I was impressed that Noble turned around and said, "You know what? That yeah. was our fault. We let him down." And I think that that, yes. that they did. And I respected Noble for saying that because that was a difficult thing to say because he's kind of blaming himself too. Mm, mm. You know, and he is playing better, so... Yeah. Moyes has had to tinker, hasn't he? Because, because I think any he's of done, us... He's done more than tinker, I think. Yes, any of us would have said that probably the strongest midfield pairing, if you wanted two people to screen the back four, would, before the season had started, being Obiang and Kuyati. So it might be sort of, a, you know, a sad but affectionate yeah. farewell to Mark, you know. But... Um, Kiyati is having a mysteriously bad season. You, you, you know, uh, you don't quite I, know what's happening. With I him. saw an interview with him recently where he admitted that he was having a bad right. season. I think it, it all stems back from an injury. He wasn't using it as an excuse. Yeah. In fact, what he said really encouraged me to think he's really going to go for it in the, yeah. in the, for the rest of the season, which would be great. Because last I mean, few games he has been a lot better. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he really has. And because with Obiang out, Fernandez is out, I, who I think is an absolutely brilliant player and will be in the future. And because uh, he played very well at the end of last season and Bilic had said well it's going to be very difficult because mm, I'm, I'm going yeah. to want to play him next season um, but and you look at who they were looking to sign in the transfer window but it never happened I mean Dendonka who's a player I'd never really heard of mm. before but he did look to be quite a reasonable player I, I still think there is and that Carvalho guy that, yeah that's, that's it that's gone off the board yeah, it's now, gone, I mean, it's, it's I, gone I still but they are of a type aren't they? In, 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 when the season's over that is it's somewhere in the midfield, a sort of defensive, solid midfield player. We do need another yeah. one there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some teams, uh, you know, have a kind of a Kante or, uh, or that guy Chelsea used to have, this kind of tiny guy who just screened the back four. He's now coaching, you know, it's, it's just fallen out of my memory. Um, Stoke had Nzonzi. People talk about Nzonzi a lot as a kind of a bit of a destroyer. I mean, not all teams need one, but it feels like we could actually do with one at this stage. Um, though defensively, we are a much better unit, you know. Um, and isn't it brilliant about Declan Rice? Yeah, he's Every great, single yeah. game... It- certainly all the ones mm. I've seen he's had a really good game yes he's made one or two mistakes but tell me mm. a player of that well, age doesn't. To, didn't he? did you see the thing in, on one of those sites the other day he's apparently on a thousand pounds a week right <laughs> well, I mean I should think he'd be asking for a pay rise yes soon. it must be I mean, that's outrageous but it is we're still uh, you know as we said earlier we <coughs> we are labouring under the fact that we're not playing very well you know mm-hmm. this is two seasons in this massive thunderdome and what we've done is not play football very well mm-hmm. and a lot of the problems a lot of the, the the agitation would simply not be there if we were playing better than we are which but didn't it, didn't help having such a great season leaving the bowling did no, it because that's the right. contrast no. has been um, exactly yeah. but it's criminal that we sort of still couldn't sort of strengthen in that um that second uh transfer window 
the first one being before we moved to the stadium and then going, well, that was terrible. Uh, we lost Pie, but let's regroup. Mm. And we sort of didn't really, because we, those four signings, people were really optimistic about you know, mm. One in each department, Hart, Zabaleta, uh, Arnautovic and uh, Hernandez. Perfect. But actually it didn't address basic problems sort of in the sort of shape but, of the team, but also didn't fit whatever his plan should have been because that was not four pacey signings. No, it know, wasn't. Kind of but let's play devil's advocate a minute. I mean, Hart, England's number one goalkeeper. Did anyone really argue that we shouldn't have signed Joe Hart? Because he had a piss poor season in Italy last year. As he was, mm. a, I thought he was a terrible. I wasn't signing. happy. I, didn't I wasn't that happy. One little bit, never. Mm. And I think Adrian is a good keeps as well. Yeah, so do so I, yeah. What that was supposed to do for the team, I don't know. Maybe that's. I reckon the majority Sullivan, of people thought Hart was a good signing. I thought. Mm. Well, I'm not being wise after the event. I thought he was a terrible. <laughs> no, All right, let's right move on. Sabaleta, he's done well. Mm-hmm. Um, Hernandez well, has scored seven goals. Yes, um, yes. If you if you don't play to Hernandez's strengths, don't be surprised if he doesn't play well. No, that's well. right. Yes, Similarly but, with Andy Carroll. Now you can't put Andy Carroll and Hernandez in the same side because you can't play to both their strengths no. in that same side. But look, I mean, Anatovic struck up a brilliant relationship with Lanzini. They were scoring goals, and since Lanzini's been injured, it's been Hernandez, and again, they're both scoring goals. Yes, but my my point is not necessarily about them individually as players or as purchases, but it just seems. They seem to have been bought with no tactical plan in place. Mm. You know, part of the reason in that last season at the Bolin, um, what we did worked so well was that we. Um, we broke with pace, and Jenkinson and Cresswell helped that yeah, enormously. They were brilliant. That Antonio season. and Moses helped with that hugely, and then the quick thinking of Lanzini and Pae did everything in the last third. Mm. And our tactics were kind of predicated on something that felt like it was it was mm. a thing we had thought about. Whereas those four purchases didn't really seem to fit because, as you say, Hernandez can really only play with other people close to him because what he does is yeah. in the box. And so those first few games of the season where Bilic is playing him out wide, he's either playing out wide or on his own up front, neither of those are playing to his strength. And, and going, oh, the lad's done a job for the team. It's like, well... Well, and playing Arnautovic on the right, which yes. he's never played there before. No. And, I mean, Moyes seems to me to have had a tactical masterstroke. Instead of playing on the left, he's playing through the centre. Yes. And he looks an absolutely fabulous striker. He's one of those players that needs to see a lot of the ball. Yeah. And those, you know, like. Uh, it's not an egalitarian thing. When we had Di Canio, basically everyone's directive was just get the ball. That You know, the massive long cross-field ball for the Wimbledon mm. goal is basically Trevor picking the ball well, up on the wing and going, where's Paolo? And banging, even though he's 40 yards away, he bangs the ball to him because he's there. And, 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 where, you know, and where was I for that goal? In the Blackwall Tunnel. Oh, <laughs> now I know someone else who missed that game for that yeah. reason. Big traffic jam. Yeah. <laughs> Only time it ever happened. Might have been yeah. Million. yeah, yeah, yes. Jim's. Yeah, God. I don't. No, I think Jim saw the goal, Jim, but Jim I think the Spurs game because he was in the tunnel. Right, there. right. I remember that? Yes, yes. Yeah, both there. Jim and that I helps. grew up in Bromley. It doesn't so really help, no, actually. Okay. Jim and I grew up in Bromley, so the Blackwall Tunnel was quite often. That's yeah. how we got to games. My dad driving me through the Blackwall Tunnel, when I, like you know, the seventies. That was sort of how we saw the games. Yes. So we don't really know how we're trying to play, do we? That's what. That's no, what that was a, that and was I the thing. That's, that's what Moyes is. Really sure. Yes, Moyes is. Yeah, yeah. I think Moyes is. 
Moises, despite a lot of tactical acumen, definitely sort of his... Every time he makes an adaptation uh, due to yet another tragic injury crisis, the Palace game, you know, the one all mm-hmm. against Palace, that was slated by everyone as nil point. We're going to mm. lose that. We're going to, in fact, we're not going to lose it. We're going to get battered. We're down to like no one. Then he put the 11 out and you go, well, actually, yeah, those 11 guys can play. And he's got them in mm. this sort of, you know, sort of slightly odd. Uh, that was the Zabaleta um, screening the back four, wasn't it? And going, oh, he's got to play instead of some. Well, I wonder how well he'll do that. It was good. Yeah. In fact, we almost played that game with slightly low self-esteem because I think the team had felt this could, you know, we could just get beat by an avalanche there. I think they would have won that game, actually. But a draw was, you were going, nope, I'll take a point for that. You well, know, you look at the results since Christmas, and I don't think any of us can really complain. OK, we might not have been playing brilliantly in all the games, but you see flashes of brilliance. Yeah. And some of the, some of the one-twos and interplay is absolutely Looking outstanding. Good. And yes. you think, well, with a bit of time... That this could develop into quite an impressive team. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's another news story is uh, the, 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 the strange question over sort of Moyes' future was that... Because what we... That, is there any question over it, really? No. Well, OK, yeah, I think... Well, what, what if... What if he's done a good job, he's proved himself... Now if, someone if else will come in for him. ...rubbish money, they've paid him no money, and they've kind of gloated that he's working for peanuts. He's proved he's really good... What if someone else comes in for him mm. and he says thank you yeah. very much that i think that's that's as likely i'm not saying it's going to happen i'm saying that's as likely as us saying cheerio davy mm. i mm. don't mm. think there's much chance of that have you heard the but story what of- if he goes somewhere else because mm. he's proved himself have you heard the story that he's been bringing ex-players in to uh yeah. to give talks about what it means to play for the club uh, i mean this is a man who had no connection with the club before mm. he started um but he obviously although he might not get it what it is to play for West Ham. He obviously understands that there is something to get. Yeah. And I, he's brought in people like Ray Stewart as well yeah. to yeah. talk to the squad and say, look, this is what it means he, and this is why it's important. He wanted the job when Allardyce got it and they talked to him and he wanted five million a year so they told him to sod off. No. And to me, I mean, maybe I'm making my usual mistake like with Pyatt, but there's something about Moyes that makes me think that he kind of gets West Ham in a way that none of us would have ever thought yeah, of so three or four months ago. Everton are a similar team. Yeah. You know, yeah. part of the reason that um, when when people were kind of, you know, thinking that he's such a boring choice, so, so duh, people just going, David Moyes, is that the best you can do? David Moyes. I've always thought that for a decade, Everton was sort of the team we should be. Yeah. You know, they, they were moving ever upwards slowly you know they had a couple of dodgy starts to seasons that they actually end up finishing quite strong but they had a great mix of you know any team that's got Arteta in it uh, and manages to find a place for him to play every week Mm. that's not a shit team that's a Mm. good team Cahill was a really good player Uh, Pienaar was a great player Um, uh, Leighton Baines was a really good player Osman's a decent player you know and he he always scored against us didn't he yeah 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 and that's that was a good team and I sort of felt that's the level we yeah. should be at when we were kind of you know again with what we've been talking about today with the Icelandics with like you know going down in 2003 and again in 2011 we're like this just shitstorm of chaos and things going wrong and mistakes and Everton were kind of slowly just moving upwards and I thought no he seems great he knows what a good player looks like otherwise he wouldn't no one would sign Arteta you know well what? the greatest compliment I would pay John Lyle, uh, David Moyes is I think there's a touch of the John Lyle's about him and John is my kind of West 
yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And I think there is a bit of the kind of decency and thoroughness. Yeah. It's not necessarily showy. Yeah. But I bet if you play for Moyes, I bet it's a good coach to pay for. Yeah, I think he knows what good football looks like and he knows how to solve problems if, if you're playing bad football. And, and he's brought in some adults mm. behind him, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. So, I mean, I'd be surprised if... Your prediction? It's or not a prediction. It's like it's because it's, you think, it's well, a fear. He's not going to go to one of the top six. They, they would not go for David Moyes. What, what I don't if, think. What about if everyone went back to Everton? When they get rid of Allardyce, he hasn't done much of a job. You're licking is your lips at the prospect. I don't of want him to go. I like Moyes. I, I like, yeah, I like Allardyce. Yeah. Allardyce is in my Pardew list. I like they, all them. They did try, You know, they tried to bring Allardyce back. Did they? Did they? Ooh. God, want, do you know how much he wanted? Go on. Eight million. God. Eight. Million. Can you imagine oh, an empty Stadio Olimpico? <laughs> it would be great to. It would be great to for him to have a summer transfer window. You know, yeah. because I think he would. I think he would have a vision that he would have started thinking about, and that Pierce would have helped him to start thinking about that. Uh, you know, his his team would start thinking about. You know, what do we need? What can we lack? What can we be? How can we progress in this division? And then when the summer kind of came up, they would have targets in choice in mind that they'd chosen, selected and thought about. You know, I felt that those last last couple of summer transfer windows were slightly made up as we went along. The fact that Hernandez and Giroud were two players that were on the the radar, that's two completely different systems of football. You really don't know what style of football you want to play if you're going, well, let's either have uh, Hernandez or Olivier Giroud. You know, I think the the only thing that people say about Moyes that's negative at the moment is that he's not a great decision maker. He will prevaricate for a long time, and certainly they found that in the January transfer window, where there were a couple of players that they were quite happy to go and buy, mm. but he wouldn't make up his mind. And by the time he did, it, it was too late. Now you might think, well, that's an excuse, yeah. and it it may be in some ways, um, but he's also quite keen on signing British players, which I think is probably a good thing in many ways because you, you know more about them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one, Is it Dundee United, John, somebody that they're, they're apparently looking at know. at the moment? Um, but I think we'd all quite like to see a few more British players play for West Ham, wouldn't we? Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, players, good, good that, I mean, players, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Players that you sort of build your team around yeah. and are kind of central to it, not sort of um, squad players that look like, you know, you kind of go, this guy looks sort of championship at best I don't you know maybe they'll bloom maybe they won't you know I mean Mario and actually is is a player that you, you that looks to me like he's he's not old he's 25 he looks like he knows what he's doing players like that we we should mm. be thinking about you know trying to acquire and whether it's a question of actually see how he plays the rest of this season he's already done enough to make me think yeah this guy is a player he's a player you know uh he was he was great at brighton away even though we were rubbish in that game he was sort of he looked good he never stopped looking for the ball you know um these are the players we should be after you know we should find the new kiati you know um you know kiati was a great find yeah let's hope that he sort of does return to his best because it yeah it does look like he because he had to have an operation, didn't he? He was sort of, you know, once we stayed up last yeah. season, he went off and had an operation. It looks like he's never quite got over that. And what's happening with his arm? I have no idea what's going on under there. <laughs> Let's go through KO. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, David Moyes is good as well. <laughs> uh, we should probably wrap this up with predictions for the weekend, I think. 
predictions for we're, we're away at Liverpool. I'm mm. not going to that. Me too. I, I, to I went there a couple of years ago um, when we drew nil nil, and. I was actually, believe it or not, in the director's box for the, the, the anecdote would take too long to tell. But I always remember at half time, I w- went to walk out to get a coffee and I heard this bloke shout, God, Ian, you've put on a bit of timber. And I looked around thinking, cheeky bugger. And he was talking to Ian Rush. <laughs> <laughs> now, Carol in that nil nil, I think I might have gone to that. Uh, um, it was the Voldemort. Uh, yeah, Voldemort. The Voldemort. They, yes. they were still building the big stand. Right. Um, it wasn't a brilliant game. Ginge had Suarez in his pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Ginge had Suarez in his pocket. I wonder if it was that one. I because I went to that. The twenty thirteen. Yeah. Anfield. No, no. It was it was twenty six January twenty sixteen. Was it? Or t- maybe twenty fifteen. Right. Ah. But, right. Um, I can't remember that one. Also, because no one scored. It's difficult to. <laughs> There's no markers for that game. Anyway, what do we think will happen at the weekend? Oh, I thought I did my prediction for this last week. Did you? Liverpool 2, West Ham 4 was oh, my so prediction for that game. Okay. So I stand you by get that. good odds on that. I stand by it. <laughs> We're 12 to 1, apparently, to win, which in a two-horse race is pretty shocking, isn't it? Especially as we've not got a particularly bad record at the moment. Especially if the but opposition is a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool are a bit sort of either brilliant or a bit shit at the moment, mm. aren't they? Um, What's your prediction, Ian? I think... You can't have 2-4, because I've had that. 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. Excellent. Dave? I, I fear Liverpool will win comfortably. Like we all fear that. I haven't <laughs> talked about when I went to Liverpool, on, West Ham, oh. in 1974. Let's have, let's, <laughs> go on, go on. Let's have that. Uh, uh, a pile of us walked back no it was a transport story we walked back because we didn't dare get the bus uh, back to towards Lime Street and I was with an Irish guy and we came round by the Walker Art Gallery going back up to Lime Street and the other six people with us didn't follow because the Irish guy was always able to say to many scousers when they say yeah, where's Lime Street oh, what's the time mate just did it in did Irish we were fine we got round the corner and we waited and the other half a dozen never made it so I went up to a copper with a great big nightstick and I said to him uh, I think our friends are in trouble round the corner and he said no they'll be alright and to his credit we went round the corner and there was my mate lying on the floor blooded and bowed but in a beautiful leather coat and I said what happened to you and he said well they said to me Either give us your leather coat or we're going to kick your head in. And then not have him a leather coat. <laughs> and there he was. Uh, that was excellent. a nil-nil. Ah. So what's the punchline? <laughs> <laughs> Paul Brush came along. <laughs> Brilliant. Always end an anecdote with Paul Brush arriving. It's <laughs> the first rule of comedy, the Brush arrival. Um, uh, Rob, what's your prediction for the weekend? Oh, God, it could go... It could be a disaster, it could be a triumph, who knows. Uh, I think maybe 3-1 to us. 3-1 to us. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, oh. this is all very optimistic. In a, in a podcast that's been about the travails of West Ham over the years, disastrous decisions, terrible luck, we've ended on a positive note uh, with... Is Paul Brush almost... in the squad? Hang on, <laughs> I could change my score <laughs> prediction no. if Paul was there. Rock um, solid. It's Dowie and Lee Chapman. <laughs> Dowie and Lee, Cha- Lee Chapman. <laughs> sorry, I, sorry, I mean Eamon Dolan. Eamon Dolan and Pop Robson up front. I mean, Johnny Burns not playing. Pop Robson, second time. Pop Robson, second time round. Uh, quite good both times though Pop Robson 
Good for us yeah, both times. Magnificent player. Yeah. Magnificent. Yeah. Next week will be a Pop Robson special <laughs> uh, in which we won't discuss the Liverpool game. With me have been uh, Rob Banks. Good evening. Dave Morley. Bless you. Ian Dale. Thank you very My much. My name's Phil. Come on, you irons. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Stop Hammer Time is backed for this season by Ladbrooks. If you're a large organisation involved in managing, purchasing or making decisions on software licences, you need Livingston. Livingston provides the technology and a large team of experts to help you understand what software is installed on your network, who is using it and whether you purchase the right number of software licences to legally use it. This information can help you make smart business decisions when it comes to renegotiating software licensing agreements with large software publishers like Microsoft, Oracle, IBM and others. And when budgeting for software software spend. To reduce the cost and risk of managing your software licenses, speak to Livingston today about our managed services. Over 50 multinationals across the world trust Livingston to manage their software licenses. Visit livingston-tech.com for more information. What's your thoughts on Fulham? Chances are you don't think about them too much, but nice away day by the river, used to have a Michael Jackson statue, and once did quite well under Roy Hodgson. But that's probably about it, because chances are you're not a Fulham fan. However, if you do know someone that supports Fulham, maybe a mate or a colleague at work, please tell them about the Fulhamish podcast that I host every week looking at each Fulham game as it comes and goes, with a nice bit of quirkiness and humour along the way too. You can find Fulhamish at fulhamish.co.uk, and we're also available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes, Acast, and playbackmedia.co.uk. That's Fulhamish, your weekly independent Fulham FC podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.